It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Welcome to The Untold Story, everybody. This is Martha McCallum. Glad to have you with us. And I'm really excited to be joined today for The Untold Story by Gareth Russell, who joins us to preview his new book, which is called The Palace by Gareth Russell. Um, and it's great to have you with us. Welcome. Oh, thank you so much for having me. So the subtitle of this book is From the Tudors to the Windsors, 500 Years of British History at Hampton Court. And Hampton Court, and for all of you, you, you all probably know that I have covered many royal events over the last 20 years, spent a lot of time in London and in the United Kingdom, and I have spent time at this palace. If you haven't been there, it's an extraordinary place, Gareth. One of my favorite places in this palace is the kitchen. Oh, mine too. It's a stunning, too. stunning look at um, a kitchen from the Elizabethan period and, and prior to that, mm -hmm. right? Right. Um, and it just shows you how what an enormous undertaking it was to, to feed this palace yeah. and to have all of these rooms with all of these scullery maids and uh, chefs and cooks running all over the place. But what made you intrigued? What made you want to write? There have been so many books written about British history, but you focus on this palace. Mm. Why? It was Buckingham Palace before Buckingham Palace. So if, the way we think of Buckingham Palace as sort of the palace today, that's what Hampton Court was for the Tudors and the, the royals who came after them. And also, you've seen it, you walk through from, as you say, this like Elizabethan Tudor kitchen, and then you end up in Baroque ballrooms. And there's so much history in this one palace that I thought, what if I focus on the people who've lived in different rooms? So each chapter is a different room, different decades, a different person moving through it. And yeah. it was an embarrassment of riches, Martha, to be honest. There was just so many great stories to tell. It's, a, it's an interesting structure uh, to the story, to tell the story of the palace through these different periods. And of course, Henry VIII mm. um, is one of the most, you know, sort of well-known figures yeah. in this story. Well, he's juicy. I mean, he, he he's a monster, but he's fabulously <laughs> interesting, which for a historian is the jackpot. So, one, you know, he really took over the palace. It was originally a church property. And then when he took over um, the church split it from the Catholic Church. He took Hampton Court and turned it into a royal residence. And his first wife, Anne Boleyn, had very chic grand plans to expand it. She's the reason it's as big as it is today. But it was his fifth wife, Catherine Howard, who really left her imprint there, literally, if you believe in ghosts, because apparently her ghost still runs screaming down a corridor that they call the Haunted Gallery, begging for mercy after she was arrested for adultery at the palace in 1541. And I was in the gallery one night after dark they sort of let me in and I said I don't really know if I believe in this and then a light flickered above my head and I thought I don't not believe in it enough to stay here so I left <laughs> so I went into the next room so growing up you grew up in Belfast yes so um you know, there's an interesting, complicated history mm. with the royal family totally. and, and Ireland. So what made you, as your young man, what made you interested in pursuing this line of history? Mm. Well, my late grandmother, Mary, was a very strong royalist. And her brother, Ernest, died fighting uh, in the RAF during the Second World War. So there was a real emotional connection there. And I grew up, she thought, you know, there was sort of God, the Queen Mother, the Queen, and that was the pecking order. <laughs> uh, but so I was fascinated by the royals when I was younger. But it was was actually my late father 
through the magic of Hollywood that got me really interested in it because he was a big Richard Burton fan, loved anything with Richard Burton. And one day we were on holiday in the south of Ireland where it rained and rained and rained. And the TV was showing an old rerun of Anne of the Thousand Days about Anne Boleyn with Richard yes. Burton. So dad watched it, I was eight, watched it and developed that kind of childhood obsession that only kids can about things. So I just read everything I could and then you know, it grows and grows. You just find all these avenues of history twisting off that keep you fascinated. And where did you study history? I was Oxford, so I, I had a wonderful time and it was, and it's close to Belfast, you know, it's a short flight, but it was far enough away that you sort of, you know, learn to run on your own, if that makes sense. And also, Oxford is just steeped in history. You almost don't appreciate it when you're younger. What do you appreciate properly when you're younger? But yeah, I, I had a wonderful time at Oxford and could really look at medieval history and modern history and what has gone into making the countries we live in, what flows together. So I, I, history is sort of my great, great passion. What is your sense of, you know, people sort of, there's a great interest mm. in royal history and in British history in the in the United States mm. these days. You see the crown is you know, very popular. When we cover these events, people are very interested. It'll be interesting to see, you know, post the queen, how interested they remain. Yes. But, you know, one of the things that I like about reading books like The Palace is that it grounds your understanding of the generations mm. of these family. People say, oh, you know, you're so interested in the royals. It's not really that. It's that um, I love history. Mm -hmm. So you see the extension of all of these people that you write about in what's going on now. And hundreds of years from now, they'll write books about, you know, these individuals, yeah. maybe, um, you know, if, if the monarchy survives. So why do you think it is that there's so much American interest mm. in these stories right now? Sometimes I wonder, I think there is an element that we are, we do sort of think of each other as cousins. Yeah. You know, we sort of, and, you know, in the same way, there's a great amount of British interest in American politics and American movies and culture. I think possibly the language obviously helps that we can, you know, that it's a straight translation. But also I think for a lot of Americans, there is a sense that obviously this country began initially by being part of the British Empire and then rejected that and moved on. And despite the fact that you would think that would make us enemies, we kind of looked back to being allies quite quickly. So I think there's an element of that. And I'm stealing someone else's quote here. This is not mine. But there was a 19th century British scholar who said royalty is the grand advertisement of a universal fact. So things like christenings and weddings and funerals, they're just a grand theatrical statement of something we will all go through. So I think you can emotionally invest in it as well as culturally. So in terms of the history that continues mm. at the palace at Hampton Court, you have Queen Elizabeth's coronation yeah. ball, yes. which you write about. So you have this young queen mm. in her mid-twenties uh, celebrating her coronation ball in the same place where Anne Boleyn yeah. was designing the, the draperies. Yeah, exactly. And that's, and that's part of, I mean, Martha, when I say an embarrassment of riches, when I take people to Hampton Court, and they ask what happened in this room. You sort of 12 things sparking in your mind. Because yeah. in that one room, as you say, Anne Boleyn picked the decorations, Shakespeare rehearsed there. There was uh, the first Republican government in Britain for 11 years met there. And then Elizabeth II's coronation ball is there. You, you can't pick, which is, which is the first story to start with. But the Elizabeth II coronation ball was, I think fans of the crown will love it because it is, it's chronicles some of the events that they're dealing with, but also 
you know, I was writing this just as Elizabeth II's time as queen was coming to an end. So it felt like someone who had grown up under Elizabeth II, as I had, was sort of doing a retrospective and a farewell. But it's, it's also, you get the, the glitz and glamour of the 50s, which I think some of us still, you know, pine for a little bit of that glamour. You know, I'm thinking as you're talking about the schism between the current royals mm. and uh, Catherine and William, who's the heir to King Charles, and then, you know, the escapees to America, Harry and, and Meghan. And really, although I think some of these things seem shocking, when mm. you look at the history, they're not really shocking at all. These kinds yeah. of divides mm. and battles have happened for generations yes. in this family. That's a great point. We were sort of joking in London that that you can spot historians who write about sort of the medieval period or the Tudor period because they can't be shocked by a royal feud. <laughs> <Like laughs> right, exactly. Nothing seems that bad. Right. Yeah, absolutely. But then again, I think that really links back perfectly to your earlier point. Sometimes we see in these feuds echoes of our own family feuds or when it's William and Catherine or Harry and Meghan, you can often tell a little bit about what someone might believe on other issues or how they would like to live their lives and what attitudes they have. So royalty sometimes is a bit like a weather vane. It kind of shows you what way we're thinking about other issues. The Untold Story continues right after this. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in free-fall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. So what do you think about that battle? Mm. And you look back at history. What does history tell us about where that might ultimately be headed? Um, there's, there's a new book by Omen Scobie, who's a real uh, sort of inside voice to Harry and Meghan. Yeah. Some people th see him sort of as a spokesperson for Harry and Meghan. Um, once again, sort of, you know, holding up their flag and mm. how wronged they were um, by what happened uh, during their marriage and their relationship with the family. So what do you think about that latest scandal? Well, I suppose I would say no one wants to hear the same song 12 times in a row. And we have heard this from the Sussexes quite a it's all they've got, right? Right. And I don't know what other story they have at this point. It's a bit of a one-hit wonder sometimes. And um, that definitely is the feeling in, in Britain. And from having been here for only a few days, any American I've spoken to seems to have thought the same thing. Uh, all I can say is that William and Catherine's approval ratings are going up in the UK the day the, the book was released and her name was involved in it. And it's not a, a, a kind portrait of Catherine. When she arrived at the Royal Albert Hall for a big royal event, she got a thunderous mm -hmm. round of applause, which I think tells you wh where the public mood is. Mm -hmm. If I had to link it back to one, I do think that there are obviously echoes of the Queen Mother and Wallace Simpson with this. And it's the same idea of one representing freedom and the other one representing tradition. And, and Catherine does have some people on her you know, team who used to work for the Queen Mother. You know, died in 2002, aged 101, still very popular. And I think Catherine's a marathon runner, not a sprinter. So if you're going to take a lesson from this, it's do what the Queen Mother did and just keep going. Don't get involved. Don't get down into the kind of the knit and the grit of the fight. If you yeah. just keep walking forward, you'll get right. through this. I mean, in the face of all this, just never, ever respond. Yeah, and that's tough. Uh, that is don't tough. Don't justify it mm -hmm. or give it credibility yeah. by 
by responding because this, um, you know, in this book that a Dutch version of it came mm-hmm. out, and in the Dutch version, we all remember the story that was revealed, you know, quite dramatically with Oprah Winfrey mm-hmm. of Meghan saying that there was someone who asked her what color she thought the baby would have. Right. Um, between, you know, both of their heritages. On yeah. what, what, what color would the baby be? And then in the book, in the Dutch version, this is like almost too ridiculous to be yeah. true, right? In the Dutch version, they left the names in, briefly, yes. of the two royals mm-hmm. who Megan, according to Omid Scobie, said, asked her about this. What color do you think the baby's skin will be? And identified them as Prince Charles and, and Catherine. Yeah. And they haven't responded. To no, this they anyway. haven't. I think it's it's you know the king was in Dubai on a visit and he just kept on going. Uh, the prince, Catherine organizes a, a new. I quite love this tradition, but she organizes a big national Christmas carol service, yeah. uh, and all the royals will be going to that, and that I think will be a show of of solidarity there. It's interesting because I think. You know, you look back on that Oprah Winfrey interview and, you know, Harry said it was only said to him and once and then that was that had been said to Meghan. You know, there are inconsistencies there. The one thing I can say from having worked in publishing is there is it seems to me really unlikely that this story that the translator put the name in herself is in any Bizarre. way. There's no way a translator. It just Absolutely. didn't happen. Um, you don't either. It would have been in all the books. Correct. Or it would have been in none of the books. Yeah. They don't. Yeah, I mean, they were doing different language runs, I guess, uh, of the book. That's what I think happened. I think someone has got sent an earlier version of the English version to the Dutch translator that they hadn't removed the names from. So I just don't, I would say my gut is that that he did put them in. And then the question is, how did he get those names? Because the official line is that the Sussexes weren't involved in this, but then that becomes a little less easy to believe. Especially since everyone, you know, who follows it understands the relationship between Harry and Meghan and Scobie, well, yes, the because, writer on this. Well, so because there was, the, yeah. there was a story that he had, she, she hadn't worked with them in Finding Freedom, his previous book about them, and then in a libel case, she had to retract that and say that she had actually sent notes through a surrogate to him. Yeah. So, yeah, I think, I think people are a bit skeptical. So how does, you know, do you think there's any ever any reconciliation after something like this i mean i would hope i would hope so but only because i sort of i think no one lies in their deathbed and thinks oh i wish i quarreled with my family more you know that but at the same time you both have to want it and you there has to be a period where there are no insults lobbed and traded so my just as a personal observer my instinct would be not anytime soon so what did you think of the um the first four episodes mm. of, of The Crown, which came out, and it covers the period of Diana and Dodie uh, up through the crash in yeah. Paris and their deaths. I actually thought it handled it more sensitively than we had been led to believe it had. I mean, look, I think the bigger question will be, should you ever be dramatizing something this recently? But as best they could, the actual death, I thought they, ha- they did that well. Just personally, I felt a little bit um, uncomfortable watching a scene where Charles tells Harry and William that their mother's dead. I just don't think that, even though it was, um, there was no dialogue, you just heard music, I don't think that was a necessarily a very decent thing to do. Elizabeth Debicki's brilliant as Princess Diana. I mean, she's really, really good. Isn't it? It's uncanny, isn't it, sometimes? No, she, she's excellent. And, um, you know, you can sort of squabble about some of the casting, I think. Um, Personally, I, the, I think the first cast is the best cast. I mean, it's hard to be and careful. And it, it's hard to understand 
in some aspects why they wouldn't have just aged those uh, yeah. actors because we've certainly seen that done successfully mm. in, in the past. And I, I think, I mean, didn't Harry write about his father telling him he did so it's interesting in do, you, do you see little bits of, of this uh, yeah I think you do see bits of spare coming into it um, and that scene is very much how it's described in Prince Harry's book I thought it was broadly speaking sensitively handled like I said I, I mean I was young when Diana died so probably the first big public event I remember but that what it gets perfectly, I think, is how rapidly the media attention, the paparazzi attention, was spiraling out of control with her in that summer before she died. And there were so many what ifs, or if only she'd gone back to London, or security had been tighter at the Ritz. And I think it also did show that Mohammed Al Fayed played, I think they were accurate in this, of him really wanting her yeah. to sort of help his social prestige. Yeah, I, I thought that was interesting the way, and it mm. seemed, of course, none of us have any idea what happened between these people, but it seemed plausible to me, yep. her discomfort with how things were going and her desire to get home. She was a lot uh, more intelligent. She just want to get home at yes, point. It, yeah. And you, you're, you know what happens, but you are kind of screaming at the TV, go home, you know, get back to England. Yeah. Um, so I wonder, you know, when you look at the palace, this seems like a really ripe subject for a series. Yeah. Well, <laughs> fingers crossed. I mean, is there any hope that you will little. make yeah, this it's, into a series? Uh, there's been interest, which is quite exciting. And, yeah. it, you know, it's always a long, it's like, sure. I, it's a, it's like getting proposed to. It's a long march to the wedding. Right, <laughs> right. But yeah, there has been, because I think, I mean, there's a joy in telling a story in one place. You, you, the, the building becomes a character. And also just, you have a great set of cast in this, if I do say so. You have kings and mistresses, but also chocolate makers and soldiers and servants. Because a, a palace like a country runs with people from all backgrounds. It Upstairs, downstairs. 100%, yeah. absolutely. And, and that, uh, that's our interest in the kitchen. Yeah, um, I love, I, which, I mean, and, you know, Downton Abbey had that element too, where you yeah. have the, 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 the servants and which their love. very rich lives and uh, what it's like to be in their position. So um, it, it's, it's fascinating. Congratulations Thank you so on much. the book. It's called The Palace by Gareth Russell. And do you say Gareth or Gareth? I say Gareth, yeah. Gareth. Okay, yeah. good, I said it right. <laughs> um, it's the palace from the Tudors to the Windsors, 500 years of British history at Hampton Court. Pleasure having you here. Thank and you so congratulations much. on the book. Thank Hope you. we can talk again soon. All the best. Thank you. That is the untold story for today. Thanks so much for joining us for this edition. We'll see you next time. I'm Martha McCallum. You've been listening to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Make sure to rate and review. For more podcasts, go to foxnewspodcast.com. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.